Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 18. So the last time we saw the paralytic heals, or excuse me, the paralytic is healed by Jesus and the call of Matthew, and today we're going to see life restored, dignity restored, sight and speech restored. This is some just part, a really fun part of the scriptures where we see Jesus doing miracles and showing compassion and, and healing, and I just sometimes try to imagine myself in that situation. Uh, it's just really neat to read. Verse 18, it says, while he, while Jesus spoke these things, of course referring to the part about the wineskins that we covered last Sunday, uh, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, my daughter has just died. By come, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, Mark's gospel adds that the, he was a synagogue ruler, and we know his name. It was Jairus. Luke adds that Jairus had an only daughter, and it's quite possible that this was his only child, and she was about 12 years old. And we can look at this as we take the, all the gospels together. We can make certain assumptions. Number one, that Jairus loved his daughter. No different than we love our children. Number two, that Jairus was a synagogue ruler. Well, that's interesting because the religious leaders at the time had direct, if not indirect, control over the synagogues. And the religious establishment, of course, was opposed to Jesus because the people were following them less and going towards Christ uh, because they didn't want to recognize their Messiah. So this puts Jairus really in a little bit of a predicament. Jairus is humbled, and that places him at the feet of Jesus probably realizing that Jesus was his only hope at this time. And number four, if we try to imagine his frame of mind, the man is probably desperate. Now many find themselves even today at the feet of Jesus when all hope seems lost. And at many times, Jesus is often the last choice, but he never gets offended. We serve a God of grace. Right? We really have to meditate and understand and understand that word. And really take it into our hearts. Grace, he shows grace. That's why many times, I know with me, someone will say, gee, I knew you before you were a Christian. What happened? So uh, I don't know how to take that. But, you know, what's your story? What brought you to Christ? Right? Because so many have hit rock bottom. So many have had something happen in their lives, and then they start to follow the Lord, and they learn to trust him, and they learn to walk with him. So this Jairus is no different. Verse 19, it says that, so Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. I love that. He calls her daughter. Now, some have this bizarre idea that, you know, you read a lot of the conspiracy theories, and it's no different with the scripture, that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, and they went off somewhere and had a royal line of children. Jesus is the son of God. And he looked at women as his daughters. There was no reason for him to get married. He didn't come for that. He came in the flesh for a certain reason. Those who are ignorant of the scriptures have a hard time grasping that daughter. But here we're directed to an urgency within an urgency. Right? Jairus is, is an urgency. His daughter is dying. 
daughter, uh, at some point, a messenger comes to him if you take the other gospel and says, don't trouble the master, she's died, she's passed. And then this woman comes also with an urgency, and Mark's gospel adds that this woman had in the Greek a hemorrheho, where in the English we get the word hemorrhaging from. For 12 long years, this woman was bleeding. And the Bible also tells us that she spent all her money on doctors only to grow worse. You lose that much blood, you become anemic, you become weak, it becomes difficult. There's certain minerals and elements that have to be replaced with the loss of blood. The body has to work hard, constantly trying to replace that blood in your system. Now, if this was a constant flow of blood from a uterine condition, it would have made her ceremonially unclean for a time, unable to worship in a ceremonial manner, because God had certain uh, ideas about blood, and blood was sacred, right? And there was only certain things, and blood had to be cleansed, Blood was sprinkled before the mercy seat. So there's a whole law that revolves around the handling of blood. Now, we don't know how old she was, but if she was bleeding for 10 years, it's quite possible that she couldn't have children. I don't know. I'm just kind of trying to look at her circumstance here. But Jairus now, as the synagogue ruler, would be the type of person to enforce ceremonial laws, right? And he's now in the same proximity of this woman. How Christ brings the unlikely together. Amen? We just saw last Sunday that Matthew and the disciples, right? You got one guy is a zealot. The other one are Jews waiting for their Messiah. They're all excited. And Jesus brings in a traitor, Matthew, a Jew who served the Romans, a Jew who extorted from his own people. And he puts them amongst his ranks. And they didn't kill him. That's amazing. But Jesus will bring the unlikely together. Look at somebody next to you, maybe somebody you're friends with now. If you were in the world, would you even hang out with them? But this is Jesus' umbrella. Everyone can fit. Some of you are laughing. Some of you can fit under that umbrella. I look at even Pastor Anthony and I. We have different hobbies, different backgrounds. Our abilities are vastly diverse, and the Lord brought us together. And I love him, and he loves me. I know the feeling's mutual. We're brothers under the Lord. It's pretty neat. But similar to Jairus, the woman was also probably desperate and weak due to her condition. However, she musters up the strength to go up to him to probably make her way through the crowds and touch his garment. Now, we can overanalyze this woman. If you take the scriptures together, she, you know, formulates in her mind, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, um, maybe a little odd, What does his cloak have to do with who he is? Maybe a little superstitious. Maybe her theology is off. Maybe she needs to come to our Bible college. I don't know. But Jesus met her where she was at. He met her at her point of contact. And that's what Jesus does with us. There's a, uh, I've heard the sayings, whether you lay hands on an elder or you anoint someone or you lay hands on the sick, it's a point of contact. I, I, uh, I'm not saying that all of his paintings are theologically, theologically correct, because they're not, but there's one painting, as I was thinking about this, Michelangelo, that struck me, the creation of man. You know, it's a picture of God in a long, flowing robe on a cloud with cherubim around him, and, and he reaches out his hand, and there's Adam, you know, created, and his hand is up, and they both, they're both fingers meet. You ever see that? They even have, like, the picture with just the fingers touching that does something to me. 
It's that point of contact. God wants to contact us. God has sent his son into the world to die for our sins. He loves us. Man, I just love that. So you see this relationship between God and man and woman. God wants to bless his children, and we, as his, as his children, need to trust our Father, the Creator. Now, if you don't know the Lord, God will meet you where you're at, in whatever situation. Some have said to me, well, I'm not good enough. Well, you don't know what I do. It doesn't matter, and you don't have to tell me. You can still trust God. Your point of contact today, if you don't know the, the Lord, may be through his word. You're hearing this. You're hearing the words, you're hearing the explanation, you're hearing the background, and the Gospels are taken together. And it's doing something to you. It's spiritually regenerative, his word. The Bible tells us that. Now, I've seen some that when I've preached, actually their faces get contorted, and their eyebrows furrow. And they tell me afterwards that they're mad. It's something I said that I read out of the scripture. Because they're actually fighting that point of contact. God is trying to reach out, and we could either drop the the force fields, we could drop the walls and let them touch us, or we can put up a wall and fight. I know what this is going to mean. I know my life is going to change. I know I have to submit to God. I'm not willing, and you can't make me, right? Just words off of a page. What about us, those of us that know the Lord? Sometimes it's good to periodically reevaluate our situations and ask ourselves questions. Where am I with the Lord? Is there pride in my life? I ask these questions of myself. Is there hypocrisy in my life? Am I walking with the Lord? Or am I doing it in my own strength? God will meet us. And I just want to ask right now, I want to break the cadence of the message and just stop and ask yourself that question. Whoever you are, stop and say, where am I with the Lord today? Is it a good relationship? Do I even know him? Do I want to know him? Is there something in my life that's a hindrance to a closer relationship between me and the Lord? Do I crave that relationship with him? God will meet you where you're at, brothers and sisters. I think it's very clear in the scripture. Trust him. And and true, even as believers, when we mess up, that repentance word, we get afraid of that. But that's a good word. It means I need to change direction. It means I kind of was following the Lord, And then something happened and I got diverted. It's like those tracks on the train and you you go into another track. We can stop, repent, and get back where we were supposed to be. It's important. Verse 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all that land. Well, if we take Matthew and Luke's uh, gospel together, what we get, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what it does appear is the girl is dying when he initially comes out. And because of the distraction of this woman, somebody else comes out and meets Jairus and says, Don't trouble him. She's already passed. Your, Your daughter is dead. That's from the distraction. Now, a few things I look at here. The woman was bleeding as long as Jairus' daughter was alive. Did you catch that? She's 12 years old, a little girl, and the woman has had this condition for 12 years. And now the woman is finally healed, no doubt rejoicing, but the 12-year-old dies. Jairus is left to bury his daughter, so he thinks. Is that fair? Was there bitterness? 
Did he resent this woman? He was a man of, of, of stature in the community. You know, you, you know, why don't you just, I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking. But is it quite possible he felt, you know, Jesus, my situation's more urgent. She can wait. When he's done with me, then he can go back to her. Resentment. Seeing something that another believer maybe gets. Seeing another believer get healed. Do we ever get that resentment? Sure we do. Sure we do. If we've been a Christian long, and I've seen this with women who are trying to have children, right? And, and one is not trying, and she gets pregnant. Right? Pastor Mark when, from Treviso, Italy, when he was up here speaking about his testimony, you're darn right they were bitter. Every, he was saying dogs were having puppies, cats were having kittens, and we couldn't get pregnant, you know? Sure, there's bitterness. We're human. We're fallen. The fact is, that Jesus tells Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe why. Jesus didn't speak to hear himself talk because Jairus was afraid. He could see right through into our hearts. He could see right through us. Don't be afraid, only believe, because Jairus was gripped with fear. Do you remember when Jesus came to see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? And Lazarus was dead, and the sisters come to Jesus and says, if you were here, our brother wouldn't have died. Was there a tinge of anger in there? Was there a tinge of you should have come quicker? I don't know. I don't know, but we're human. We go through these things. When it seems that God is too late, when we struggle with God's timing, when we feel that God didn't act fast enough, our lives are unpredictable. Circumstances change, things take turns for the worse, and we think sometimes that we're beyond God's help, and furthermore, that we're beyond God's care. Let's not be led by emotions. But that's sometimes what we believe. Some of you are in fear today. Well, why not? We live in a very unstable world. <laughs> sometimes I think, I come up here to pray, you know, people are thinking, oh, there's, there's riots and people are getting killed and there's sick people. Oh, my goodness, you know, what's happening? But that's the best place to go when we have trouble is to the Lord and put these things in his hands. There will be a day when this stuff won't exist anymore. We won't have to pray because he'll be right there in our presence. We won't have to lift up the sick because nobody will be sick. And, you know, we won't have to comfort the bereaved because nobody's going to die. But that's not yet. That's coming. We live in an unstable world, but give God a chance. This is the best times to exercise our faith. And Pastor Anthony and I don't check with each other when we do our notes, but he's been hitting it on Wednesday and I've been hitting it on Sunday. Here's the, the faith and fear continuum. They're mutually exclusive. If you are full of fear, we don't have faith. If we're full of faith, we don't have fear. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're somewhere in between. Where are we today? Don't fear, just believe. Some of us have no answers to things that happen on this side of eternity, but we must put our trust in him. We can allow ourselves to be tormented our whole lives and wrestle with the situation. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. I don't understand and mull it over. And listen, there is a grieving process. We all grieve, different situations, but we wrestle and we wrestle and we mull and sometimes this can take decades and then we die and then we see the Lord and everything's been revealed and we say to ourselves, I don't know if we would, but I wasted all that time wrestling and you know, just Trust the Lord. I know you're saying to me, gee, Pastor Joe, you don't know my situation. That's awfully flippant. That's awfully cavalier of you to say. 
I could sit here and tell you my stories too. And I could tell you that the God's, God's been and he's, he's taken me through these things. Trust the Lord. Verse 24, Jesus says, The girl isn't dead but sleeping, and he was left to scorn. There are those that will deride, mock, and scorn. There are concepts in Christianity that are derided because the world lives only by empirical standards. Faith is foreign to them. They're not spiritual. The Sadducees were like this. Imagine that. A group of Jewish aristocrats at the time, they were, they were part, some of them were part of the Sanhedrin, part of the Jewish ruling body. If you were Jewish, you had to have faith in God. They didn't believe in angels and demons. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in things they couldn't see. And we still have Sadducees today. And they will mock and they will scorn. I've been <laughs> very interesting when you do a funeral. And I, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I would like you to do that or a service, I always say, you understand I'm going to give the gospel. And that's the most appropriate place to give the gospel. And I see some that retort uh, not favorably to- towards it. And I've had some come, now I've had plenty of people come to me and say, wow, that was a real message of hope. But there are some that respond in the flesh. And I just have to take it and try to, uh, just try to usher them into, you know, the presence of the Lord, do the best we can. Luke's gospel said that Jesus pretty much threw everyone out except dad, mom, James, John, Peter. Because it wasn't a circus. There will be times that we don't share the things of God with those who are mockers. Now some will ask, well, what about this whole Peter, James, and John thing? I've seen that before. Were they like elite? Were they better than the other 12? You know, I can only speculate. I'm not saying I have all the answers here. But we do know that it's possible that maybe at that time, they were the only ones mature enough to hear and see what was going on. Just imagine that. Something they had never seen before. Girl was obviously passed on. You know, maybe depending on how long it was, some type of rigor mortis set in, you know, lividity, the pooling of the blood, and she's obviously gone. And then all of a sudden, she comes back to life. Wow. Uh, Pastor Paul has a phrase that I enjoy every once in a while. He says, This is not for public consumption. Not everyone would do well hearing this or seeing this. There are even things that church leaders have to delicately and prayerfully consider how to share with the body. Uh, In my seven years as being a senior pastor, I've seen many pastors fall into grievous sins. And then when you discuss it with the body, it's very difficult. What do you say? How do you say it? How do you bring it up? Well, you don't give all the salacious details because that's not important and it's not edifying. But at the same time, you don't keep people in the dark. Some have admittedly left God, stopped praying, stopped reading their Bible because a pastor falls into sin. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, that's inexcusable. Your faith obviously is not in the Lord. But we want to be careful to protect those who are weak believers, new believers, those that would stumble and and be frightened because of it. So it's, it's a difficult thing. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, Talitha kumi, I say, little girl, arise. In Luke's gospel, it says her spirit returned to her. Get a little insight into the body, mind, and spirit. It's pretty amazing. As a road officer for almost 20 years, I can tell you that I've seen more dead bodies than I care to remember. 
And I know when I go into a situation, you've got to go through the motions. You know, maybe they're not passed. And you do your CPR and you put the defibrillator pads on and put the oxygen. But, you know, I can tell you that there is a look, a difference. And I'm not just, I'm not talking the blood pooling and, and the pallor difference, but you can tell that the spirit has left the body. For those of you that just go to wakes, you see everything all prettied up and makeup put on and all that stuff in the suit and, you know, in the casket. But when you see the person who's freshly died, it's not a pretty sight. And you know something's missing. I did a funeral for a good friend of mine. Timing sometimes is everything. And he was in an open casket, and he was behind me. And the point I was trying to make was that that's just the shell that he left behind. You know, his spirit is is not here. So I said, uh, during the, the sermon, I said, that's not Jim. And I took too long to go to the next point, and his wife looked at me in horror, like, who is it then? You know? <laughs> so I had to make the point. But timing can be everything, let me tell you. It's not easy being a pastor. <laughs> make the point. Well, listen, not everybody gets the happy ending. This girl was raised to life, and even if they do get the happy ending, the little girl died again. Did she die in her 20s, 30s, live a, to be a ripe old age? I don't know, but she didn't live forever because that time is not yet. Even Lazarus, he was raised from the dead after four days of being in the cave, probably stumbling all over the place with those grave cloths. You know, Jesus said, take the grave cloths off of him, the poor guy. That's maybe where the mummy thing came from, I don't know. But the bottom line is that all the resurrections that were done, the people died again. So even though Jairus had his desires met, the law of sin and death were still prevalent uh, on the earth. But we do know this. Even if we don't get the answers that we're looking for, we know that God can breathe spiritual life into every situation. So understand that. So if it's not necessarily a physical resurrection in your life, God can breathe spiritual life into anything that you're dealing with and you're struggling with that, I know. That he's able to do it, and that he wants to do it. Verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Now, I've read commentaries, you know, after I've put this together and prayed about it. And I'm just curious to see what other men of God think. And uh, one commentary said that the blind men had aids to help them to get to Jesus. I don't see it. No pun intended. But the truth is, when you lose one of your senses, the other ones become more acute. They become sharper. I believe, it's my opinion, that they heard the voice of the Lord, that they were trained on his voice, and they weren't going to let that hope get away from them. I believe they may have stumbled, or they may have held on to each other for dear life, but they were not going to miss the sound of his voice. They were going to keep moving, until it got louder and they got closer to him. See, there's much we can learn from these two blind men. As a matter of fact, in the spiritual sense, I'm just going to read three verses. In John 10, 
starting with verse 3. Jesus says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Speaking about the sheep and the shepherd. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Wow. And there's certainly, uh, Jesus is the doorkeeper. Jesus is the shepherd. Do we follow his voice? I will tell you this, that these men were physically blind, but listening to Jesus' voice caused them to gain their spiritual, or excuse me, their physical eyesight. Today, many are spiritually blind because they're listening to the wrong spiritual voices, and therefore they remain spiritually blind. Let me repeat that. These men were physically blind, but because they heard the voice of Jesus, they regained their physical eyesight. But many today are spiritually blind because they are listening to all the wrong voices. They're not listening to the voice of God, and they remain spiritually blind. Where are we today? Are we listening to the voice of the Lord? Dave Hunt wrote a book called Occult Invasion, and he spoke about all the voices that believers are hearing today. You'd be surprised in the church how much mindsets or ideas or concepts believers hold that are completely unscriptural. Listening to all types of things on the radio, uh, you know, watching all kinds of stuff, uh, maybe reading all the best Christian self-help books. Start with reading the scripture. You want to read that stuff? Fine. I'm not against it. But the scripture means to need to be the main part of our diet. That's important. And if you're listening to any man or woman who's not using the scripture, I don't care how eloquent they are, how erudite they are, okay? If they're not using God's word and it's their own opinions, it's junk food. Christians are taking in a lot of junk food. And they're allowing themselves to be opening up to the wrong voices. That's where the state of our church is today in the West. Verse 32, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. So the man can't speak. In this instance, it's caused by a demonic oppression. Now, like I said, and, and I've had this discussion many times, a believer cannot be possessed. And I don't know that this guy was a believer, so I'm not making that uh, parallel. But we do know from the scripture that the satanic realm can afflict believers, can afflict those in the world, and certainly possess those in the world that don't have the Holy Spirit. So in this instance, we saw it with Job. Uh, We even know that Satan had asked to sift uh, Peter as wheat. We don't know the full extent of that, but Satan wants us, and we look at this man, to keep us quiet and isolated. He wants to keep us from praising God and communicating. I have no doubt in my mind that this man, after he was healed day and night, you couldn't keep him quiet. Did I I tell you again what the Lord did for me? Yes, you told us ten times, you know. I have no doubt in my mind he just couldn't stop praising the Lord. And I would ask this question because, you know what, I've met those, I've met, I know two guys at least I could think of that lost their voice for a time. Um... You know, one guy was whispering for years. He could not speak. 
And that is frustrating to someone. If it's ever happened to you, even for a short period of time, that's how we communicate. So I would say that the gift of, of speech is a, is a blessing. And my question is, what are we doing with our gift of speech? When we go home, are we tearing down our spouses? Are we talking about a brother or sister in the Lord? Are we not minding our own business, using our gift of speech for bad things? Are we furthering our own causes or glorifying ourselves? Important questions to ask ourselves. Or are we bringing salvation to a thirsty soul? Are we preaching the word of God? Uh, Christine, our church administrator, got a phone call this week. She's like, what is he going to say up there? Pray for Christine. She gets all these phone calls. And a guy is calling, selling curriculum for churches. And he goes, oh, yeah, we have this great plan, and we, we have stuff for the children's ministry and for the pastors. And Christine said, you know, thank you, but our pastor reads from God's Word, the Bible. And he goes, oh, that's so archaic. You should get our stuff. I mean... man's philosophy. Many churches will buy it. They run out of things to say. I want to keep up. We got to be hip. We got to grow this place. What do I have to do? Abandon the word of God? Some do. Verse 34, when you're doing the Lord's will, expect opposition. Of course, uh, in another scripture, it's elaborated more what the Pharisees said. They couldn't stop the fact that Jesus did miracles. They couldn't stop the fact that he raised the dead. They couldn't couldn't keep the people quiet. They couldn't stop them from praising him. So, they, so what do we do? Fall in line? Of course not. We've got to make up something that'll make him look bad. Well, he's doing those miracles by Beelzebub, uh, an allusion to Satan, of course. When you do the Lord's will, expect the opposition to come. You know, I look at this, and it's kind of neat with these miracles. It kind of eliminates formula Christianity. See, now, as we go through the scripture, what do we see? Jesus uh, healed based on what? A victim's faith at times, the person, I need healing, I believe, please heal me. Sometimes it was the friend's faith in the case of the paralytic, or sometimes just because he had compassion. Jesus healed work miracles through a word, a garment. He honored the woman's point of contact, didn't have to. Uh, A touch, and at one time I remember he spit on the ground (laughs) and took the saliva, it says, and made mud and took the paste and put it on the blind man's eyes, and that's how he healed, right? Very interesting, but uh, that's what he did. Many try to corner God. Many try to shorten his arms, so to speak. Many try to make a formula or a ritual out of the word because that's easier, religion. Let me do a ritual. I don't want to give God my heart, and this will be good enough. And God does never allows that. Each time he does something totally different, we can't figure him out. I remember when I had to work out in uh, a really bad snowstorm uh, in January this, this year. And I remember all the snowstorms I worked, you know, out there, and it's nighttime, and there was lightning and thunder during a snowstorm. I've never seen that before. Uh, a pastor friend said to me, meteorologists have a great job. They could be wrong the majority of the time, and they still have a job, you know? <laughs> How do you predict the weather? Sometimes it just it comes in, it looks like it's coming in like a lion, and it just takes a turn. Go somewhere else. There was one snowstorm. They didn't think it was going to be much, and all of a sudden we got rained down heavily, and the state was unprepared. Wow. That's the God we serve. That's what I love about him, that he's, he just does what he wants to do. Right? So what do we see as we wrap up these miracles? Number one, Jairus' daughter. I think we can see through that that God wants us to be made alive in him. He regenerates us to spiritual life. 
as he gave the little girl life? Anybody here who wants to follow the Lord, who wants to trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior, the Lord will allow it. Come, come to me, all of you, all, right? the entire world. Two, the, women, the woman with the bleeding, the hemorrhaging, uh, God wanted to restore her dignity and the worship of him. And three, the worship, yes, the worship of him. And three, the blind receiving sight. He wants us to see who he truly, truly is. That song, high and lifted up, right? I want to see you. I want to see you, God. Isaiah 6, you see the Lord high and lifted up, and there's this incredible vision of the Lord. Isaiah is totally, it's like sensory overload when he sees the Lord. And that, I don't think that was even in all of his glory. That was a vision of the Lord. Um, he wants us to see who he truly is, not to be deceived. The mute man speaking. God wants, the Bible says, he inhabits the praises of his people. Will you be one of them? Will you join me in going out to the world and telling God what great things, or telling others what great things that God has done in my life? Will you join me in doing that? As the, the mute man's tongue was loosed, and now he could speak and communicate and praise I just, I can't stop doing it. I don't get tired of doing it. I love going out there and just telling others the great things that God has for them if they would just believe. Verse 35, the last few verses. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He sees the multitudes and he observes them. He watches their mannerisms. He sees their uh, flocking to him. He sees their hearts. And he makes an observation, and he says, they're weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, if you know anything about shepherding, sheep having no shepherd is a problem. They need somebody to feed them. They'll fall off a cliff because they're dopey animals, and uh, five more will follow them right over that cliff. You know, they'll end up going somewhere where they shouldn't go, and the wolf catches them. So Jesus sees this. And I would say that today we live in a world where many are weary and scattered. You know some of them. You know some that don't know the Lord, and they are weary and scattered. And this is a great opportunity for us to minister to the lost, to the world. Jesus gives us the, the blessing and the honor and the privilege to be his ambassadors. Go. He's the king. He sends us out to the, to the world, the unsaved world, and we're to go as ambassadors and bring the message of the king to this world. There's another world over there, much better than this one. There's another life over there, much better than the one you're living. Will you go with me to the world and minister to them, weary and scattered? Second illustration, the grain harvest. It's in need of laborers. Pray the Lord of the harvest sends out laborers. Yes, I do. Imagine if every Christian served, and I'm not just talking about in the church, but outside the church. I know there are many who have thriving ministries outside the walls of a church building because they have a heart for the lost. You know, I look at even the children's ministry. Uh, it is just amazing what our 
children's ministry servants are doing in this fellowship. I have some that come from other established churches and say, you know, I've heard about the children's ministry here. It's so cool. I give them the latitude to pray about, and there's this one classroom where there's just all snowflakes and stuff hanging. I, I walked in there last night. I'm like, whoa, I haven't seen this. Just their desire to reach the kids, you know. What do you guys need? Uh, audio stuff? Here, you got it. What do you need? Cork boards? Here, you've got it. I just give them whatever they want, within reason, you know. <laughs> have to put that in there. But it's just a blessing. So cool to serve the Lord. So cool to go out there and reach the kids. Uh, Pastor Anthony and there's others that I know tell me stories about when they were kids and how a Sunday school teacher reached them. Sometimes we, we don't know. They're drooling. They're looking at us with their mouth open. We have no idea if it's getting in there. But it's getting in, you know? <laughs> Bumping into walls and it's awesome. But pray. And pray about your own life. Pray that you would join me and many others in just working in his fields, right? So, if we believe that the Lord was at work back then, then we must also believe, logically, that he's at work today, because I don't read about any expiration dates in the scripture. Then what is stopping any of us from giving our all, even at the very least, to loose our tongues and tell others the great thing that God's done for us? Serving the Lord, telling others about salvation, because it is an honor and privilege to serve him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we 